The book of Hebrews is a letter written to Jewish Christians in the first century. It's not known for sure who wrote the book. Some people think Luke wrote it. Some people think Apollos wrote it. Others think Paul wrote it. One of the apostolic fathers in the second century claimed it was written in Hebrew and then translated into Greek. Uh, other people say the Greek in this book is so brilliant, um, maybe we don't know who what the translator was if that's the case. It's written to believers, Messianic Jews, who had found Jesus as their Messiah. And so it's written to them. Uh, some of them perhaps were being tempted to turn back to the Old Covenant simply because of tradition. Who knows, tradition is very, very strong. And so it's underlining some of the glorious things about the New Covenant. In fact, the word better is in this book 12 times. Jesus is better than the angels, and his blood is better than that of Abel's, and his sacrifice is better than all the uh, sacrifices of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant. His covenant is better. The New Testament is better. Can somebody say, Jesus is better? And so chapter 1, verse 1, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, that is the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament was written by prophets, men of God, from Moses through Malachi. That's how God communicated. But now something different has happened. Verse 2, this same God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus is better than the prophets. He trumps Moses. Can I get an amen? Who, in this Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better, there's the word better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. His name is better than the names of angels. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Never. He's quoting from the prophecies of David now. And again, implying, did he say this to an angel? I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. No. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now those people that go door to door, giving out free booklets who refuse to pray with you because they prayed back at their meeting place, they will tell you when you get in their theology that Jesus is actually Michael the archangel. Um, I don't think Michael is supposed to be worshipped. But Jesus is. Can I get it? Amen. amen. And to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Somebody said, Jesus is divine. Jesus is divine. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, 
has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So he's better than his fellow humans. This is Jesus. He's Lord of his disciples. In verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. So you have to pre-exist something before you can make something, right? And the heavens are the work of your hands. This is talking about Jesus. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. And they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Some reason he's contrasting angels with Jesus and uh, proving that Jesus is, is superior, but he's not completely putting down angels. He's telling them they're, they're agents of God to minister to believers. There's like 108 mentions of angels in the Old Testament and over 160 mention of angels in the New Testament. And yet Jesus outshines them all. Can I get an amen? Therefore, because of what I said, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. It is possible to be so mesmerized with books about angels, movies about angels, theories about angels, appearance of angels, that we drift away from Jesus, the better one. It's possible. Sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward which did happen in the Old Testament. You didn't hear what angels said. It was serious consequences. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which is at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also, bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So don't get caught up into being distracted from Jesus by supernatural things. Focus on Jesus. There are people I've known that have been mesmerized by angels and been led astray. Uh, I didn't know this person, but uh, I was at what is now Brookshire's where there was a copy machine waiting on it, and there was a woman there with her grown daughter said, we love this copy machine because... When you make copies on it, angels appear. Really? Yes, let me show you. And she showed me little wing-shaped blotches of ink. It's like, well, you know, maybe if they change the toner cartridge, the angels will disappear. I don't know. It didn't stop there. It went on to tell me about the trip they made to Arkansas to the Precious Moments Museum where they sell these little... Wonderful little angels. Just totally mesmerized the angels. There's some other people that will knock on your door 
telling you about another testament that was given to their founder by an angel. Islam was founded by an angel visiting Muhammad and forcing him to to memorize the Quran. As wonderful as angels are, Jesus is so much better. And they serve to minister to us. So if you've had an angelic visitation, that is awesome. But they will never lead you away from Jesus. Satan, the word says, can appear as an angel of light. It's believed theologically that he is a fallen angel. I'd like to focus on verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The enemy, just whatever he can use, and people, whatever they can use to distract you from what's really important, is real. So we've got to be careful. That's the New King James Version. The Old King James Version reads it like this. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So this, I believe, applies to more than just angels. Maybe you're upset because you believe a certain election was rigged. You get so fired up about it, it will cloud your perspective. And what's really important, eternal Jesus... Uh, gets blocked out. You know, just a finger in front of your eye will block out. I'm a motorcycle rider, so it'll block out a motorcycle. So things you hang from your mirror, I'm always telling my wife this, are real important because they affect your perspective and you'll miss out on something really important. The Good News Translation says, we must hold on all the more firmly to the truths we have heard so that we will not be carried away. The Message Bible said it's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. The New Century Version, so that we, won't, we will not stray away from the truth. The Young Literal Translation says, lest we may glide aside, slip slide in a way. So we just read some glorious things about Jesus that we need to pay attention to lest we drift away. So my question today is, are you drifting away from Jesus? Beware of drifting away from Jesus. Yeah, but didn't he say, hold on to truths? And I believe everything you said, so this sermon doesn't apply to me. Well, it's possible to substitute reality with knowledge. It's true. A person can know all about marriage and what it takes to be a great spouse and then not practice it. Knowledge can become a notch on a gun. It can become a plaque on a wall. But is it in your life? He is talking about truth that we hold on to, but the truth he just mentioned is all about Jesus. Right? He wrote, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is superior. But it's possible to know he's superior, to believe he is, but he is not allowed to be superior in my personal life. Nothing's going to get between me and my dream being fulfilled, my, my plans. So I'm not going to consult him or invite his lordship in this area of my life. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to the, the, the text. Beware of drifting away from Jesus. There's 14 things in this thing about Jesus. Some of them are just different ways of saying the same thing. God has spoken to us by his son. He's superior to all the prophets. The things he said trump Moses. They trump them all. He is God's son. He is the word of God made flesh, and he has spoken to us. So the things he had to say are very important. They're not to be brushed aside. They're to be taken seriously. On this aspect of uh, using knowledge to replace reality, what if uh, Francis Chan shared this, if you told your child to clean their room, and the next time you saw them, you said, did you clean your room? No, but I formed a study group. Formed a study group. Yes, we're going to meet once a week and talk about all the different ways to clean your room and the definitions of the word clean. Is that scholarly? Yes. But is it obedient? No. He's spoken to us by his son, so the things he said are meaningful. The word of God did not become flesh and come to earth and speak meaningful, pithy platitudes. He came and gave commands to live by. And he is the heir of all things. Everything belongs to him. Now, we live in a democratic republic or a republican democracy, however you want to look at it. And so our concept of ownership is very dear to us. We are hyper-individualistic in our culture. But in a kingdom, a true kingdom, everything is owned by the king. And the subjects of the king serve the purposes of the kingdom. When Yvette and I went to Zimbabwe, the best price we could find was on Arab Emirates, which, to our surprise, includes 20 hours in Dubai with a free hotel room and free meals, buffets, Middle Eastern food, which I love. Anybody want to go to Terra's? So while there, we asked a, a cab driver, uh, how can they afford to do this? Did they count on us just coming back? I said, well, the king owns the airline. The king owns the hotel. The king owns the restaurant. <laughs> this is the kingdom. That's how kingdoms operate. And in reality, when you look at it from that perspective, everything I own belongs to the Lord. He's loaned it to me. I'm a steward of it. That's why I want to take care of what he's given me. But when I die, I don't take it with me. Hearses don't have trailer hitches. If they do, someone's customized it or a funeral home is moving across town or something. If you're wearing anything in your casket, it's because somebody had kindness upon you. We come into the world naked and we leave naked. 
minus our earth suit because we go to be with the Lord, right? So the son is awesome. He's the heir of everything. God made the worlds through him. Jesus is so superior, I mean, to say so, pales in, in comparison to the reality of it. Our language fails us. He is the brightness of God's glory. He is the prism through which we see God. Back to our trip to Zimbabwe. I have that picture of a vet catching a rainbow. Rainbows are everywhere. You want to get pictures of rainbows, go to Victoria Falls. When light shines through mist at the right way, it refracts, and lo and behold, there are the seven colors that's in white light. So like a prism or like a raindrop or like, like drops of water with the sun shining through, so Jesus made God visible. Now, why is that a blessing? Why is it a blessing for God to be invisible? Well, so you can see. God is everywhere. He's between here and Fort Worth. He's between me and you. He is what is called omnipresent. So if his presence suddenly became visible, boom, you wouldn't be able to see anything. There's an account like that in um, books of the kings when they dedicated the temple the glory of God filled the house, and they couldn't see. So Jesus came in a human body to show us what God was like, like a prism to reveal to us the aspects of God's nature that man did not know. He's awesome. He's the brightness of God's glory. He did not blind us. He's a, God is a consuming fire. Jesus, through divine restraint, showed us what God is like without blinding us, to open our eyes. And yet, people chose to remain blind, to cling to their tradition, to cling to their religion and not him. He is the express image of God's likeness, God's reality. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He upholds everything by his word. Not only did he make everything, but he holds everything together. And one day, he's going to speak a word, and, and there's going to be a transformation. Things as we know it are going to burn up. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, according to the Scriptures. And best of all, he removed the separation between us and God. By himself, he has purged or cleansed our sins. This is awesome. So not only is he great in his attributes, he's absolutely wonderful in what he's done. Who he is and what he's done. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he has a position of authority that no one else has. So to compare him to Moroni or Gabriel or Michael, there's no comparison. To compare him to humanity's greatest heroes, there's no comparison. He outshines them all. It's redundant, but it's true. He is awesome. He sat at the right hand of majesty. This is a position of power. We can come boldly to him at the throne room of grace. You did not need for any other person to be your mediator between you and God. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is our mediator. And yet the Father is in him reconciling us to himself. He is the visible representation of God. He's God, and he is man, and he is eternal. So in the incarnation, 
God became man. He's so much better than angels. The writer's driving this home for a certain reason, and maybe somebody needs to hear it today. That's why I'm speaking on the, along these lines. He inherited a more excellent name, and then he made the name more excellent by his conquest. So at his incarnation, he received the name from his father by inheritance. Yahweh saves, Yeshua, Yahashua, Jesus, Jesu, however you want to say it, means God saves. And now when we say Jesus, it has so much more meaning than that. It's, it's all about how God, sa how God saves. He took our place. He paid our penalty. He took our fine upon himself, went to jail for us, He's awesome. Our son and daughter-in-law have had a baby girl, and they named her Brea. I said, well, what does Brea mean? They said, uh, we made it up. So I asked Siri what, what Brea meant, and Siri brought up some name of some plant, looking for meaning, you know, to our grandchild's name. Well, that child's going to grow up and give meaning to her name. Not only did Jesus inherit a name that had meaning, he's giving meaning to his name. We all have names that were given to us. Maybe your parents made them up. Maybe they came from a baby book. Maybe it came down a long family line. But your name has meaning, and you help define it. So Jesus not only inherited a name greater than the name of angels, but he made it even greater. And one day, every knee, that's both knees if you got two of them, and every language is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. His name is above Amen. every name. It's greater than cancer. It's greater than poverty. It's greater than division. It's greater than offense. Yes. Stop letting these things be bigger than him. He is the greater one. Let him be superior in your life. He's declared God's begotten son. Now that angel told Muhammad that God never had any sons, and yet in the Quran, the baby Jesus, when they're questioning questioning Mary on the virgin birth, because they do believe in virgin birth, Jesus in the, in the Quran says he's the son of God. So Satan is the author of confusion, right? So the point is, he is the son of God, so when was Jesus begotten? When he became man. And when he became resurrected. He is the only, only one. So the singleness of who he is is so superior to everything. He outshines it all. So to be lured into some other religion is really tragic. As Jesus trumps them all. As God, his throne is forever. We saw that in the text. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. God the Father calls him God. God the Father's not a man, but Jesus is a man. And here, he, God the Father is calling the man who is his son, made flesh, his word, becoming human. He is God. So now, Hebrews goes on to say, we have a high priest who's much better than all the other priests, who's easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You've been betrayed. That's some of the worst pain a person can have. You can run to Jesus. He knows what that feels like. 
You've been abandoned? That's horrible. He was abandoned at the worst time in his life. He knows what that's feeling like. And so Hebrews says he's able to help us with our struggles because he experienced the same, yet he never sinned. He pre-existed his creations. Now, I grew up in a denomination that preached the deity of Jesus nonstop. That Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Holy Ghost, but they struggled with his pre-existence. They said, well, God was God, and then when Jesus came along, uh, he became man. So up until Bethlehem, he was just a thought in the mind of God. He was a plan in the mind of God. Well, I beg your pardon. A plan doesn't create anything. A creator creates. An inventor invents. A builder builds. So inventors, builders, creators must pre-exist. They may have plans and put them into motion, but they must pre-exist. And Jesus is God. He pre-existed creation. And he will also out-exist. Look at this in verse 10. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So Jesus not only is eternal from Bethlehem onward, he's eternal beforehand. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but he preexisted that same slainness. He's God. He will outlast all his creations. Tell someone Jesus is great. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He 
cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That was Reverend S.M. Lockridge, another pastor. Dr. James Allen Francis wrote, All the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever set sail, all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. Can you say, Jesus is great? Jesus is great. And yet... I have this concern in my heart. It would be tragic to know all about Jesus while still not knowing him personally. It's possible to know him personally, but there is a distance in your relationship. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind to be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to the Messiah, devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself had a concern about one of the churches in western Turkey in Revelation where he said this to them, I hold this against you that you have left your first love. In prayer yesterday, I did what I sometimes do. I I took out my wallet and laid it down and said, Lord, I surrender my resources to you, my identity to you. Took my phone and I laid it down. Lord, I surrender my connections to you, my influence to you. And if you ever want people to try to get in touch with you, my phone started going crazy with probably a dozen texts at that point, but I restrained myself to later on. Took my keys out. Lord, I surrender my authority to you, my ownership to you. I recognize that it's all yours. I took my shoes off. Lord, I surrender my strength to you. Took my glasses off. Lord, I surrender my, my uh, weaknesses to you. 
could have took my belt off and surrendered my persona or my image, my public image to him. And I began to draw near to the Lord, and he, he convicted me that I had been drifting away from him for a while. Sometimes good things can, can come into a marriage and separate a husband from wife. Who knows children are good things? Sometimes they become a priority, and your relationship with your spouse becomes not a priority. Well, God wants to be so much more than a spouse. He wants to be your closest friend. He made a covenant on the cross so that we could have a close relationship with him. So how tragic would it be to be able to quote poetry like S.M. Lockridge about how awesome Jesus is and yet have distance in your life? How tragic would it be to know all about the world's religions and and all the truths of Christianity that we hold dear and be able to explain it as though you were a Christian, yet not to know Jesus personally? So my question today, as the musicians come forward, is this. Are you as close to Jesus as you want to be? The answer for us all is yes. All of us are as close to God as we want to be. So this sermon actually is a clarion call to want to be closer to him than you are. (laughs) Maybe there was a time in your life when you were immature, but you were so in love with Jesus, and you were close to him, and you kind of look back on those days because you needed some growing up to do. Well, the Lord is saying, I'd rather have you like that immature but in love with me than in your current state where you're mature and you you know some stuff that's important but there's an independence of me that has taken over your life we're going to go into worship and the altars open if you want to just take I, I, I hope you'll take the next few minutes and draw near to the Lord him search your heart. Maybe you go through an exercise like I do. Take stuff out of your pocket, surrender to him, and Lord, I'm here. I want to be near to you. Am I as near to you as I can be? Maybe it's disappointment that has happened that has caused distance between you and the Lord. Maybe an offense has gotten in and skewed your perspective and and distanced you from a nearness to God that is available to you. Maybe it's sin. You know, sin's just fun for a season, and then There's hell to pay. Don't let anything keep you from a near relationship with the Lord. So as we go back into a time of worship, make a place to pray just you and the Lord. Maybe at your seat, maybe on your knees, maybe at the front. But let's take the next few minutes and draw near to the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, I just pray right now that you'd search our hearts. That anyone here that is has uh, been drifting away from you, slipping away, sliding away. Lord, I pray that we would use this opportunity to draw near to you and that, Lord, we would become sensitive to your spirit and have a desire to meet with you every day to make time. In Jesus' name.